Let's turn together to Luke chapter 12. We're in our next parable. We're walking through the parables of Jesus from Luke's gospel. And we come to the one called the parable of the rich fool. And here's a parable that deals with money. And so we're going to talk about money today. I'm always aware that we, any given Sunday, we have first time guests and somebody might be thinking, I thought so. I'm going to show up at that church and they're going to talk about money. I wonder how often that guy talks about money up there. Well, the answer to that is we talk about money whenever it comes up in the text. And really, it has been, it's been a while since we last hit the topic of money. So we're talking about it because Jesus talks about it. Here, this parable of the rich fool is all about money. I think you'll agree with me that few things are as spiritual than how we view and handle money. It's very spiritual. Our use of money will reveal a lot about our faith and our love for God. We know and we just think about that Jesus is our greatest treasure. How marvelous, how wonderful is his love. We should be most enamored with him, but far too often people not enamored with him, but chasing after money, chasing after possessions. And Jesus is going to take that on and it's going to be so helpful for our souls today. So let's dive in together. Luke 12, picking up in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me judge and arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So let's talk about the context. Jesus tells this parable as he's talking to thousands of people. So the first verse in this chapter tells us that Jesus is talking to thousands of people. If you keep reading this chapter, before you get to this parable, Jesus is teaching on some of the weightiest matters possible. Among the topics that Jesus has addressed before he ever gets to this, he talks about the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's pretty weighty. Another topic he brings up is what do you do when you're persecuted for him? When they haul you before the authorities, what are you going to do? Jesus is talking about that. And then out of the blue, this guy among the thousands steps up and asks a question out of left field. Nothing to do what Jesus had been talking about. In fact, he's not even asking a question. He orders Jesus to do something. Verse 13, see it again. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So here's a guy missing everything Jesus had been talking about. Sitting back there just stewing, stewing, mad because his brother he perceives as cheating him out of something that owed to him, missing everything. Now, we don't know the story. We're somewhat sympathetic, right? We think, man, if he's really being cheated, we certainly think that's not right. And we would hate for that to happen to somebody. But Jesus, of course, knows the whole picture. 
And Jesus actually is rebuking him for this. To come in missing the riches of that moment. The Savior of the world is teaching. He's teaching great truths. The true riches are coming from the lips of Jesus as he dispenses truth to this crowd. And this guy's worried about mere money. And so we have a teaching here coming out of this context. By the way, we know this, that inheritance fights are not new because we see here 2,000 years earlier and they still go on today. Did some reading this week about that. Came upon an article about a number of these inheritance fights and read about this one, the estate of Wellington Burt. says, listen to this. This wealthy lumber baron may have died more than a century ago in 1919, but he left one of the most bizarre wills ever. Allegedly, after a fallout with his close family members, Bert stipulated that not one of them would receive a penny of his $100 million estate, which is the equivalent of $1.5 billion in our dollars. Instead, his will said that his descendants could only access his estate 21 years after the last surviving grandchild. That meant that it was as late as 2013 when the money was finally shared out among 12 descendants that he had never met. Imagine that. This guy was so disgusted with his greedy family members. None of you are getting a penny. Then he goes, overkill. It's going to be, it's going to be years after my final grandchild dies. Then I'll give out the money. 12 people didn't even know him. They got the estate. Well, here's another one, maybe a more familiar name, Jimi Hendrix. Listen to this. Legendary guitarist Jimi Hendrix died from a drug overdose in 1970, aged just 27. He left no will. And his attorney managed his estate for 20 years until Jimmy's father, Al, successfully sued for the right to manage his music. When Al died in 2002, Jimmy's estate, estimated at $80 million, was left to Al's adopted daughter, Janie. But Jimmy's brother, Leon, claimed he had a right to the inheritance, leading to a court battle which he lost. The Hendricks estate has since taken Leon to court for the illegal sale of merchandise. John Lennon's estate, caught up in the same kind of things. Prince, the musician, his estate. B.B. King, NFL star, Steve McNair. People fighting over the money. But it's not just those people. I bet if you think about your family, somebody close to you right now embroiled in some battle over an inheritance. You may have relatives who won't speak to one another because this. There's a sense of unfairness and there's grief all mixed in. These things are not new. So we sympathize with these things. But notice here, Jesus sees in this man an unhealthy preoccupation with mere money. And Jesus takes the opportunity to teach him and those thousands on that day and the hundreds of us, us, of us today about not having an unhealthy focus on our money. So with that, hear again the parable as we talk about it. Verse 16, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So Jesus tells a story of a rich man who had a successful harvest. So let's pause there. Jesus is not saying that's a problem. So we, we would want our farmers to be successful. 
right? We all depend on that, that they would have successful crops. And we have no problem with a farmer who's worked that hard to have a return on his labor for all that. We don't have a problem with him uh, meeting his needs through that. Likewise, the company that you might work for, we want that company to be very successful. And we would not begrudge the owner of that company of, of gaining wealth from the business he started and all the risks he took. We have no problem with that. And Jesus isn't saying that's the problem. There's even a logistical challenge here. And I don't think that's the problem in the parable Jesus tells. This man had an abundance. And what's he going to do with it? Until he can consume it or sell it, what's he going to do with this harvest? And so his solution was, I'm going to tear down the barns I have, build bigger barns. I don't think that's the problem. But the problem is a heart problem. I'm going to need to tear down and build up. And then I'm going to focus the rest of my life on this wealth and on the pleasure this wealth is going to give to me. Notice with me here, there's an excessive use here of the words my and I, as Jesus tells the parable. This man says, he speaks of my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, even my soul. As Jesus tells a story about this guy, he's full of himself. This man's thinking that, look what I have accomplished. Look at all that I have. I did it. And I'm set for many years to come. And God is entirely absent from this man's perspective. And then God spoke. So as Jesus tells it, this guy's not thinking at all about God. God doesn't exist in his plans. Oh, but God's there. And God speaks a strong word of rebuke. But God said to him, fool. Let's pause there. You and I aren't allowed to call people fool. But biblically, we see God telling us what a fool is over and over again. One of the ways you know a fool is scripture says a fool says in his heart, there is no God. So a person says there's no God, God can call them a fool. Absolutely. And of course, a person who lives for money, pleasure like this, God has the right to say fool. You and I are more careful with our wording because Jesus warned us not to talk that way to people, but God can judge like that. You and I can tell somebody, a good friend, like, I think, I think you're being foolish. <laughs> That's different than labeling that. But this man was, his life was all about himself, all about his things. And, and here though, not thinking about God at all, God tells him time's up. You thought you had years to indulge yourself, but in reality, I'm going to require your soul of you today. Judgment and eternity apart from Christ. What a sober, frightening warning here. So now we have this. Jesus actually gives us the points of application for ourselves here. He tells us what we do with this, with this message. So the first thing we see here from the words of Jesus, first point, this. Be on guard against greed. Be on guard against greed. That's what we see in verse 15. Jesus said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. When you hear the words, take care, when you hear the words, be on your guard, you know, this is an area of danger. And that's how Jesus speaks about greed here. Not that money is inherently evil, but greed is a great evil. We have the word here in our text, covetousness in this translation, that original language, that word means this, a strong desire to acquire more and more material possessions or to possess more things than other people have all irrespective of need. The word we more commonly use is the word greed. So Jesus warns against the danger of materialism, greed, or even stinginess in our lives. And the Holy Spirit inspired Paul also to address this on a number of occasions. How about these two examples? Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is 
idolatry. 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So greed in the mind of God is no small sin. It is a huge problem. But isn't it true that it can so subtly creep into our lives? So maybe you can think back when you left home and you were launching out and no longer were your parents providing for you, it's on you. And you recognize immediately, I need to go get a job and I need to earn money for myself. That's noble. There's nothing poor about that. You, you've got to, you got to provide for yourself. It would be ungodly if you thought, I'm just going to kind of expect my parents to keep doing this for the rest of my life. So you go get a job and you quickly realize I might need more of a job than this because life's expensive. I got, got to get housing here. I got to get cars. I got to repair cars and health insurance. So you're motivated to work and to provide for yourself. That's very biblical. To not do that is called out in the scriptures. You go to the book of Proverbs. We're warned not to be sluggards or lazy. New covenant says there were some lazy people. And he says, if they're not willing to work, don't let them eat. So working hard, but you have it. But isn't it true that you can go from, I'm, I want to provide for myself. I want to provide for my family. But suddenly the goal can shift. If we're not careful, if we're not cautious, we can get into this idea that, well, now, now I just really want to accumulate for myself. That becomes the goal. I, I want to upsize and upsize and upsize. That can become the goal in life. And we can creep into materialism. By the way, this isn't a problem just for wealthy people. This is an important part of the message where maybe I warn us all, let's don't look around at other people or people. We, Man, I wish so-and-so could hear this one. They're rich. They're probably greedy. No, that's not fair. I've known some wealthy people that are not at all greedy. They think hardly anything about money. They were good at what they did. They worked really hard. They took some risks. Their business was successful. They ended up employing a lot of people. They were very generous in quiet ways, very humble. So this isn't an anti-rich message. Neither do we look around the room going, man, you know, they just bought a new car. I think they need it. No, that's none of our business. Listen, we don't know what everybody makes. We don't know how much money people give away, do we? We don't know what family members they're caring for. So we're not getting anybody else's business. This is a message for us. Jesus tells you to look at your heart, be on your Guard for your heart. So let's ask practically here, has greed crept into your heart over time? Ha has your goal in life shifted to be like that of the rich fool? You say, I'm, I'm not rich, so I don't have to worry about this. No, a lot of people have the same goal that Jesus calls out here in this parable. Think about it. Is this your goal? I just want to relax. I want to eat, drink, be merry. That could be your goal in life. And you may not have much money at all. Just, I, just, I just want to relax, eat, drink, and be merry. In fact, a lot of people, that's their goal for retirement. I just can't wait when I can stop everything. And then I can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And God would say, that's foolish. That's not why you're here. So guard your heart against greed. That idea that I can never really be satisfied. I just got to keep accumulating. That is greed. So guard your heart against greed. The second thing Jesus tells us here is life is so much more than accumulating stuff. Guard your heart against greed and life is so much more than accumulating stuff. That's what he says in the latter part of verse 15. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So this rich man Jesus talks about here had no vision and no sense of God's mission. His goal was merely leisure and pleasure for the rest of his days. And that could be you today. 
That's the philosophy of the entire world, by the way. We grew up around that. Like people say, what more is there? I'm just wanting to relax. I just want to have stuff. I just want to enjoy myself. But Jesus says life is more than accumulating possessions. Notice here, this man had nothing of God in his planning. Even for the rest of his days, uh, he said, years. So you, you've got years now where you can just indulge yourself. And what a tragic error that was. As Jesus called it out, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And you're going to be leaving it all behind. Who's... Whose stuff is this going to be that you thought you were going to be bigger barns for? And now you're stepping out into eternity without a savior. Let us understand this simple truth all over again. You can't take it with you. You can't take any material thing with you when you die. We know that, right? We've heard that thousands of times already in our lives. But I can just tell you, that's good for my soul to hear it again. It's almost like every time I hear it, you can't take it with you. It's kind of like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because we just get suckered into that. Like my head's down and I have all these needs and family has needs. You just you start going after that. And if you're not careful, it can creep into something other than it should be. And then that reminder. Oh, yeah, none of this, not a scrap of it, not a penny of it will go with me. In fact, here's the sobering reality of the things that we do accumulate. And when we die, because we can't take a bit of it with us, what might happen with it? Our children, our grandchildren. They may end up hating each other, trying to get a piece of it. Because we just talked about these inheritance fights. This is the context of Jesus addressing it. Wouldn't you hate that to happen? I thought this was going to bless them. I, I kind of accumulated it, hoping that they would get this so that they have it a little bit easier than I had it. And they end up hating each other, not talking to each other for decades. Ever. What, a, what a tragedy that is. And we thought we were doing something good, chasing after it. Maybe we correct that on the front end here. I can't, I can't live to accumulate and accumulate. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. We don't want to chase after that. It's certainly to the expense of our soul. I love it here that Jesus brings up our souls here. You do know that you have a soul and that soul is eternal. So it is a sense in which uh, we look out from our bodies, right? I mean, we know we are unified body and soul and, uh, and we'll have that temporary situation. When we die, we'll be separated from our body. Our soul will go to be with the Lord, our body in the grave. But when Jesus comes, we're reuniting with our body, a glorified body made suitable for the new earth. It's going to be wonderful. But, but there's a sense in which even now I feel like I'm in this body. I can look out, right? You have that? I'm, I'm looking out. The real me is in here. And this external body that I'm part of, it's, it's changing all the time. But the real me, the eternal me is, is inside of here. You have a soul. And it would be foolish to neglect your soul on the quest for mere stuff you can't take with you. Jesus talked this way in Matthew 16, 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? For what shall a man give in return for his soul? In other words, this is the worst investment imaginable. To put your emphasis on your stuff that you can't take with you and neglect your eternal soul. Especially the person who's never trusted in Jesus Christ as their savior. Jesus said, even if you gained everything, what have you gained if you perish and you spend eternity apart from Christ in hell? To be on your guard against greed, life is so much more than accumulating stuff. And then this from Jesus, instead of all that, be rich toward God. Be rich toward God. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. 
Jesus is calling us to true riches, riches that are going to last, riches that are indeed eternal. So we're told to be rich toward God. Good question for us is how do you do that? Well, on the one hand, first of all, to be rich toward God, you need to receive eternal riches from him. You need to receive eternal riches from Jesus. I love how Jesus talked to the church at Laodicea, a church that had become complacent, lost their first love, lukewarm, Jesus is going to call it. And part of the problem was they were materially well-to-do. And they we don't really need anything. We're so well off. But listen how Jesus rebukes this church. Revelation 3, 15. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now this. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Jesus tells that church and would remind us to see our true condition apart from him. That apart from Christ, we are spiritually broke. Without Christ, we are spiritually bankrupt. And so Jesus came to cleanse us of all of our sin, to make us alive, to adopt us into his family, that we might share in a glorious eternal inheritance. There's our riches. If you have turned from your sin and you've put your hope and faith in Jesus, the one who died for your sins and was raised from the dead, you have become a child of God and you are richer than you can possibly imagine. You have treasures laid up in heaven, a home in heaven. There is our hope. So be rich toward God by receiving the riches he wants to give you through adoption into his family. But then how do I live? Well, we're to lay up eternal riches in heaven. Paul spoke this way as well about practical ways that we who have resources are to live our lives. 1 Timothy 6, 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Paul says, set your hope in God, not your stuff. Do good, be rich in good works, be generous and share. I like how Randy Alcorn talks about this, not laying up treasures on earth, but laying up treasures in heaven. He says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. There's a way you could use your resources now investing in the kingdom of God that will be credited to you even in what is to come. I love that. As Paul talks about here, verse 19 of 1 Timothy 6, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Jeremiah 9, 23, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Our foolish hearts so often chase after the temporary and the fleeting pleasures. And we neglect the eternal and lasting joys that God's made available to us. We tend to focus on our physical bodies and neglect our souls. We can obsess about our financial health and ignore our spiritual life. 
So let me ask again, are there ways in which you've been living like this rich fool here? Have you become greedy? Some evidence is that you might have become greedy is jealousy toward other people who seem to have more. A lack of generosity, a heart that's never satisfied with what you have. You're always craving more and more. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. But another evidence that you might have a trouble with greed is some debt. Not all debt, but some debt might, might reveal that there's a problem here with greed, depending on why you're in debt. I was listening to a podcast the other day with Dave Ramsey, and a young woman called in, 29 years old, and she and her young husband had already amassed nearly a million dollars in debt at 29. Can you imagine? Well, I was riveted. I thought, well, what, what's Dave Ramsey going to say to help this dear couple out from this? And he asked, why are you in debt? And some of it was college loans, but not, not the bulk of it by any means. And they did have a home debt, but that was pretty modest, actually. But think of it, hundreds of thousands of dollars of credit card, car loans, and what the, what the woman described as personal loans. Nearly a million dollars in debt. So I'm like, what's, what's Ramsey going to say to that? And he was gracious, but strong. She knew she had a problem, but I love it. He said, you know, this is not a money problem. He even said, this is not even a math problem. This is a heart problem. He went there, this is a spiritual problem. And he asked bluntly, like he does, like, what, what were you and your husband thinking? To live that far beyond your means. What, what kind of need in your life are you trying to fill with that type of crazy, crazy spending? Of course, she's very humble. And he was able to help her with a, a path forward to, to get out of that. But, but debt to that degree, that, that really isn't a math problem. It's not really a financial issue. That is a heart issue. And you and I could have the same heart problem. We're just craving more. So how do we then defeat greed in our lives? Two ways. First of all, we can defeat greed in our lives with gratitude. Gratitude. When you and I have our focus on, Lord, thank you for what you have given to me. Thank you for my salvation. And in this life, thank that you have given me what I have. Because isn't it unhealthy if we're constantly thinking about what I wish I had? In fact, it's very, help, very helpful if you think theologically what's true about yourself. When you realize, you know, I don't deserve anything. When you, when you understand because of my sin, I deserve to be in hell even now. But the gospel is amazing. Jesus has forgiven all my sins. He's given me this gift of everlasting life. That's amazing that he would give me grace upon grace and provide for me now, even at the level I am, whatever level that is, amazing. So I don't deserve any more than what I presently have. So gratitude, thank you, God, for what you have supplied for me today. And Lord, I will pray for my daily bread tomorrow. Help me through this life. So gratitude, a key antidote for greed. How about this one? Giving. Giving is a key and great antidote for greed. When you put your money into the kingdom of God, it puts your heart and mind on eternal things. It's a kind of sacrifice, isn't it? When you decide, instead of spending this on myself, I'm going to put this into the kingdom of God. There's a sense of sacrifice there. I feel what I could have done with it, but now it's over here. Uh, you, maybe you get the sensation when you get that end of the year giving statement so that you, you can give and use with your taxes. And if you ever open that up and see what you gave, you think, wow, that's, that's a lot of money. That's money that could have been used in some other ways. Um, that, that could have upsized the vacation. I could have upsized this. That could have been this or that. You know, you can think of all that it could have been. But that sense of gratitude, I'm so glad I didn't spend it on those temporary things. So glad, Lord, I just obeyed what you were prompting. 
That's into your kingdom. Those are eternal investments that will reap eternal rewards, however you choose to do that. And so you and I, if we want to get out of greed, gratitude, and even giving. Can I give you a practical word here? How, how do you make giving a part of your life? You need to budget it. You have to budget giving. When you think about where am I going to spend my money and you put it down on paper, you got rent or mortgage payments and cars and car repairs, just hundreds of needs. And, I, and I'm sorry for all of us how expensive this life is. But, but at the top of the list, when you start that, here's, here's my income by, by God's grace. First thing on the list is the giving and praying, Lord, what do you want us to give? We want to give that. I want to give what you've called me to give scripturally. And as your spirit prompts us, that's what we want to do. You've got to do that first. You can't have the mindset, well, I got to, I got to pay all the bills and then see what's left. Or maybe there's going to be a more opportune time in life. This is not a good time to give. And, but but I, I'm sure it's going to get easier later. And then I'll start giving faithfully. I can tell you that opportune time would never, ever come. You would wait your whole life and not give. I, I just think about our story. If Joy and I had taken that approach, thank God he taught us give first early. So when you're newly married, in our case, we were struggling financially, but the giving was already settled. We're giving that first. We'll make it. But listen, what if we said, no, look, we're, we're newly married. We can't give yet. We'll give later. Then you have your first child. Well, we can't give now. We got our first child. Diapers are expensive. Then you have another child. Well, can't give now. Another child. I can't give now. Then like, we got to start saving for college for these kids. Can't give now. Kid after kid does college. Then you start thinking, you know, retirement's coming up. Can't give now. Got to save for retirement. Then what happens? Then you retire. It's not a good time to give now. <laughs> I'm retired. I'm not earning what I used to make. You could squander your whole lifetime just consuming on yourself, thinking there'll be a better time to give. That's why right at the beginning, make, this, is what I'm, this is what God is leading me to give. I'm going to give that first, and then I'm going to set the rest of the budget on what's left after what God has led me to give. Can I give a word? If you're a young person here today, start giving when you're young. You say, I don't even make hardly any money. I just get an allowance. Tithe your allowance. Just go ahead and start doing that now and just build your life. I'll never spend everything. I, God gets his first fruits and then I'll spend what's left as he leads. If you're a young person, you've got your first job, start tithing now. It's not going to get easier later. It's better to start now than try to wedge in giving after you've already overcommitted yourself. But some of you say, well, I'm not a child. I'm not a young adult. I'm where I am. Start today. Lord, I, I'm just going to seek you. What would you have me give? I can't be greedy. I see the warning here. I can't be this person. I want to be grateful and I want to be giving. And you settle that and then kind of rework your budget to where you're giving off the top. Lord, I'm going to give to you. Well, let's close with this. Just a few more questions of self-assessment here. Not thinking about other people, just checking out our own hearts. How about this question? Is your wealth keeping you from serving in the kingdom? Is your wealth keeping you from serving in the kingdom? Do you know you can have so much stuff that you have to care for all your stuff and it can keep you from serving the Lord? You thought if I had more stuff, I could serve more. Look, I, just an example, you know, I get a boat to justify having the boat. I got to go use the boat. And the weekend's a great time to use the boat because I work. And I can't serve because I got a boat. And, and you just name the item. Your wealth could keep you from serving in the kingdom. It's a distraction. How about this? Are you faithfully giving into the kingdom? We talked about that. Are you in debt for items of status, entertainment, and personal comfort? How about this question? Do you feel superior to people who have less than you? Are you driven to earn more than somebody else earns? Is there a competitive spirit in your earning? Not just meeting your needs. I just want to have more than other people. Are you willing to sin to keep or gain more money? 
I'd be willing to compromise about anything if I gave me a bigger paycheck. Is that, is that you? That's greed. How about this one? If God were to call you to be an international missionary, would you go? Or would you think about your house and the things in your house and you go, I, I couldn't leave all this. I've spent my life accumulating all this. I could, I could never go take the gospel to an unreached, unengaged people group. I know they need help. Somebody else going to have to go because I could never leave all this. Listen, then we have a greed problem. We're, we're valuing things incorrectly. We can't take any of that with us, but we need to focus on what is eternal. What a word from Jesus to us today. Let's take it to heart. Pray with me.